and the line is there's a crack in everything that's how the light gets in and I love that kind of thought and we speak a lot about there's beauty and imperfection and and people when there's something's imperfect people lean in and go oh shit I can relate to this person or relate to this brand because they're not perfect Hello and welcome back to MVP, the marketer's most valuable podcast uh, by Save Social and Dear Storyteller. We are recording live here at Optus Stadium uh, during the conference State of Social 2022. And for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to be deep diving into the most valuable perspectives of the one and only Mr. Adam Ferrier. Adam, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. We're recording this live. But, but people aren't watching this live, are that's, they? That's all, right. They're yeah. going to get the edited version. Yeah. yeah, we're going to cut out all the bad bits. Yeah. So how can you not record it live? <laughs> that's that's a, a true thing. Uh, I think that's something that we've all been guilty of saying in the digital era <laughs> that isn't necessarily true. Um, but I, we've just come out from watching your speech, one of the opening keynotes of State of Social 2022, where you talked about minimum viable process, and you shared a couple of awesome examples of the the work that your agency Thinkabell has created, including some work with Menulog and NRMA. And I think one of the takeaways that people could get out of those pieces of creative is do less. In both instances, not necessarily a lot was happening in the actual oh, yeah. creative itself. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that's maybe a tenant or a principle that you think more advertisers could get behind. Do uh, less. Sometimes it's not as complicated as you think. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Thank you. I wish I'd said that. Um, <laughs> one of my pet peeves in advertising is the over-editing of everything, which I think is a function of lots of people having to justify their job. But, so then <laughs> lots of scenes happen when you're just shooting stuff. And then all those scenes need to cram their way into... 15 seconds or whatever it is and then it all looks like noise mm. and so that whole sense of restraint of process i don't over process things could manifest itself in the creative output as well i think that's a really um an astute observation thanks mate appreciate it I, I also love that your perspective that if brands were truly customer centric they would just leave customers alone. Well, that's exactly yeah. That wasn't me who said that. That was Malcolm Gladwell who told me that over dinner once. So that is a name drop I know, and it's hideous. But um, we, when when somebody asked him what you know, what do you think people really want from brands? He said, "Oh, I think they just want to be left alone." So if you did really have the consumer at the heart of your business making decisions, you may not exist at all. And if you did exist, you would exist on their terms, which means you wouldn't be in their face all the time. And being in their face all the time is really what mental availability is about. So yeah. listening to the customer can sometimes be the complete opposite of how brands actually grow. Yeah, and being the opposite, can you tell us a little bit more about mental and physical availability and how you reconcile the fact that you're doing something that customers inherently don't want? Yeah, sure. So... Uh, how Brands Grow, Aaron Bird Bass Institute, popularised by Byron Sharp, uh, talks about boiling marketing down to mental and physical availability, which basically means have continuing salience in the consumer's mind and be omnipresent, be around them when you want to buy the thing or interact with it. So that's how brands grow. That's what you need to do. Uh, if you listen to the consumer, there's no consumer who's going to say, I want the brand in my face all the time. And I want the brand around me constantly just in case I want to buy it. So nobody, nobody gives a shit about your brand. Yeah. Uh, they kind of care about the category. And when the category point is triggered, your brand is in a race to be in the head and, and, and physically available. So that's what marketing is about. 
that's not what customers necessarily want. Mm. Another one of my favourite perspectives of yours is the idea that BX before EX before CX. So brand experience before employee experience before customer experience. One of the things that I think gets left out of that conversation the most when it comes to talking about this is the idea of employer experience. Totally. And why that's so important to the expression of your brand. Yeah, I asked... um, So one of the people I really respect and admire is... um, uh, is Mark Ritson, um, and we had a I had a conversation with him recently around if you do really good marketing, what's not marketing? And really, if you do really good marketing, then it's everything. It's businesses, business strategy, because every single touch point should either should be building or reinforcing a brand or a brand message. And so, I totally agree with you. Um, one of the reasons why we kind of boiled that phrase down, BX before EX before CX, is to try to make um, our clients aware of the importance of getting a central brand idea that can resonate internally with everybody first and then put it out into the world and resonate with customers. And that means everything that everybody's doing all the time, internally and externally, is building the same brand message. Yeah, you're living that central organising thought, I think is the way that you put it. Yeah, that's right. And then if you're an employee of that brand and you're out for dinner on a Saturday night talking about that brand in the same way as somebody then sees it on the telly or experiences online or whatever, then there's just a cumulative multiplier effect of all the messages that people see. Sort of that idea of scaling the unscalable. It's like, yes, that one person isn't speaking to a mass market, but they're having a very meaningful connection with one person. That's right. And then if you've got, um, in Australia, if you've got 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 employees, that's a lot of people who could be on brand communicating the brand in quite an authentic way to their 10, 20, 50, 200, 500,000 people in their universe. Is there any of your clients or anybody that you can think of that really nails employee experience and a specific example of something that they do? It's an ongoing process, right? So your question is, do they absolutely nail it? There's always room to move. And I think I think that EX experience is where, is where there's still a lot of upside for mm. marketers to go to. But I think that the two companies that come to mind who I work with, who do, who's focus on it a lot, are our Repco Client, who um, are right into kind of unleashing the passion of um, – motorsports and and you know and rev heads and so forth and so they've done a lot recently to ensure that their whole network and their distribution centers and so forth are engaged with the brand and we have a saying which is bringing the bathurst which comes to life in the with the employees and in the kind of the physical store environments uh, and it's also communicated externally um and iag is now who um is the holding company of nrma insurance is now at the stage where they don't do really do anything externally without engaging their internal employees on that proposition first. Mm. Um, there, there's another thing that you talked about that I think that you actually demonstrated perfectly in the presentation, but you've also mentioned in your book before, is that the idea that weakness is a more valuable f- tool for brand positioning than strengths. And I just love the way that in the menu log campaign, you actually didn't try to sort of stray away from the fact that you'd made a mistake or, or that menu log had made a mistake with the Katy Perry ad, but you lent into it and you used that friction to create a really memorable, stunning piece of content that was interacting and interfacing with the cultural landscape. Can you tell us a little bit more about the idea of weakness as a brand positioning tool? 
Yeah, um, and I forgot to mention um, when I walked in, you could get to choose the song you walk in on, <laughs> and I walked in with on Leonard Cohen's um, "Alleluia." Is it? Um, and there is, a, and the line is, "There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in." And I love that kind of thought. And we speak a lot about um, there's beauty and imperfection, and and people when there's something's imperfect, people lean in and they go, oh, "Shit, I can relate to this person or relate to this brand because they're not perfect." Um, and so, Mark, so everybody knows that, right? We also have a, th- a thing called a negativity bias, where we pay more attention to negative stimuli than positive stimuli. Everyone knows that everywhere, except for marketers. Marketers of brands are still obsessed with often presenting a glib, superficial, vainglorious image of themselves, and they haven't read, read Brené Brown, or they have, but personally, <laughs> but not for, not for yeah. their not for their brands, and so. If a brand can be weak or porous or admit faults um, or apologise and things like that, people lean into that kind of shit. They go, oh, I resonate with that. I like that. Nothing's perfect. In fact, humans hate perfection and um, we, sh- we kind of shy away from things when they do seem too perfect. So what's a really interesting conversation is, is, trying, to, is trying to talk – is talking to marketers about – how they don't have to be perfect and how consumers will like them more or respect them more or have a conversation or lean in a little bit more if they kind of just open up about their imperfection a little bit. Um, And then it can be truly business transformational when that happens. So the Menulog example is a lovely example of that at a kind of campaign level. But you think about Avis, we're number two, so we try harder. Just, you know... Famous Classic. example from over time, but it's not just a be- beautiful ad campaign that had an impact on you know com- coming back to BX before EX before CX, that had a fantastic impact on all of their um, employees as well who tried harder because they were number two and they wanted to become number one, so better service and quicker service and all that kind of stuff. I love that. So we're going to jump in and ask some quick fire questions. We're going to talk to all of the speakers about over the course of the conference, uh, and. Uh, that your answers can be as long or as short as as you want, but um, here we go. Uh, question number one is: Where do you go to learn more about marketing? Um, I like to put on conferences and podcasts and things like that because then I get to invite guests in who I get to talk to and learn about stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why I've got the podcast, so I get to learn and that kind of thing. So I invite people in. Love that. Let's change tact a little bit and ask. What's a small brand that you love and why? Um, well, I, I love Tinkerbell. Uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, geez, it's really weird, isn't it? Now Wheatbix is stuck in my head and I can't get rid of Wheatbix, <laughs> which isn't a small brand, but it plays a small role in our lives. But that's really interesting. And now I've got right over here Allbirds, which is like oh, a really yeah. cool brand that's kind of – had it had its up and it's down really quickly um so uh the one thing about imperfections that i think is really fascinating is this idea of kintsugi yep. which is this japanese form of pottery where if a plate smashes uh you put it back together but with gold filament in the cracks that's right so that the, the the actual the weakness the the brokenness is actually part of the beauty moving forward. That's right. So there's two concepts there in the Japanese culture. There's wabi-sabi, which literally means beauty and imperfection. So the bowl's wobbly to start off with and looks old. Uh, and then there's kintsugi. So if the bowl breaks, they fix it up with gold leaf because there's character in the actual floor. And there's lots of different evidence of that across different cultures and so forth. 
um, of of there being be- this kind of concept of beauty and imperfection, but we shy away from it, and um, and we present an overly perfect image of ourselves often, uh, which causes all sorts of issues. But in brand world, it ends up being these kind of glib, superficial brands. As a macro trend, we can see brands used to play a more aspirational role in our lives. Buy this brand so you could be this person. The macro narrative at the moment is be happy with who you are. So we're seeing brands kind of trying to be more authentic mm. and less aspirational. So that we, we think they're going to try to show their human side a little bit more. And it makes me want to get your hair and just, <laughs> just mess it up a little bit. Yeah, there we, go. There we, we can do that. Yeah, there we go. Thank do you. that for yeah. the rest of the show. Um, <laughs> uh, let's finish off with a, a few more of these quick fire questions. If you could spend four hours with any marketer or business person in the world, who would you choose and why? Uh, Elon Musk, I think. Um, <laughs> what would you say to Elon? I, I just think he's he's playing a different game to everyone else. He's kind of the Bradman of business and I think he's doing more to save the world, uh, expand thought. Um, he's the person of our time um, and I would love to just hang out with him. I mean, I'm sure he'll be quite an irritating, unlikable person, <laughs> but I reckon, we, I reckon I could learn something from him. I, I reckon I could learn a lot, but he was so, yeah, anyway, him. Love that. Is there an emerging customer behaviour that you think will be highly influential over the next decade? I think there's I'm – the, I'm kind of really interested in this concept of reactance. So if you tell somebody what to do and you're too literal with that, then people kind of form counter-arguments in their mind. And now that they can uh, counteract – you can easily act against a brand as well now, you know, you get online and so forth and you can start to – put out negative messaging about a brand. I, I reckon there's something interesting happening there where it's not just important to get people to like you, but it's also important not to build reactants by pissing people off. Interesting. Um, is there a major public opinion that has recently flipped where you felt or noticed that marketing and communications played a crucial role? Oh, that's, uh, yes, I think... I think um, both Black Lives Matter and Me Too were both marketing-driven in terms of they got the nomenclature right, they got easy taglines, they got, they, got the, they got the language right that allowed mass, mass participation and then because they were easy concepts to endorse because they were around equality, everybody jumped on board because there was no real downside to it. Do you know what I mean? Because they were popularist movements and you'd be crazy to say no. We don't want equality, mm. so therefore, um, the cause was the cause was strong. So, really good, clear, simple brand codes, strong popularist message behind it, and then everybody gets on board, creates critical mass, and bang, you know, interesting things start to happen. Love that, awesome. Um, last question before we give you a little gift to end this podcast. Um, when you think of the term, I shudder to think what that gives. <laughs> <laughs> when you think of the term prized possession. Uh, what's the first branded thing you own that comes to mind? And I'll give you a little follow-up while you think about it. Uh, something's landed in the brain. Yeah. Do you remember a specific ad or piece of marketing that convinced you to buy it? Um, I remember um, Channel 9, still the one, growing up in Perth with that tagline a lot. Um, I remember being at a concert when um, 96FM gave me a hat and a move drink, and that had a big impression on my mind. Um, 
the my most favourite branded possession, I think our Volvo car gives our little family infinite amount of joy because all the extras are included in the base model. So it's all leather seats and pop-up thing for the kids, <laughs> uh, booster seats for the kids and... Uh, it's all got wireless, so it connects with your phone and all this kind of, I haven't owned a car. I haven't really owned a car before. So that's fucking amazing what you can, what a car can do these days. So I think that before you say branded possession, I was going to say my kids, but they're not, <laughs> they're, they're not, um, yeah, they're obviously not branded. I don't know. The Farrier is a strong brand. Oh, um, we have a little gift for you here. At Dear Storyteller, we're, we're all about branded entertainment, but we're also about playfulness. And you're pretty playful as well, I think. You actually created a board game. Um, we created the game too. Oh, great. And so we wanted to give it to you. It's called The Concept, and it's a way of creating uh, show-stopping pieces of branded entertainment based on the cards in these two packs. Unreal. So I wanted to give that to you and ask oh, you to thank you. do me a favour, which is at some point um, pull those cards out, have a go and play the game. I'd love to, mate. That is absolutely fantastic and good on you for doing it. That's really cool. Appreciate thank you. it. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you, man. Great. Thanks. Uh, you've been joining us for MVP, the marketer's most valuable uh, perspective here at State of Social 2022. Thanks for joining us. Uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes, uh, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you on the next episode.